0: Welcome to Supporting the Spectrum, the Thompson Center's podcast series on all things autism. We aim to bring you the most up-to-date information on autism research, services, and supports. I'm Gina Randolph, faculty in the Special Education Department at the University of Missouri and part of the Training and Education Division at the Thompson Center. The focus of today's episode is to share about the medical team here at the Thompson Center, and with me to do so is Dr. Benjamin Black, Director of Medical Services and Assistant Professor of Clinical Child Health. Dr. Black, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Randolph.
0: So can you start us off by just telling us who makes up the medical team and what you guys do here?
1: Yeah, so here at the Thompson Center, our medical team is comprised of a number of of really talented individuals. So first off, we have our general pediatricians who have specific expertise and interest in autism. Most of our general pediatricians also see patients in a general pediatrics clinic separate from the Thompson Center, but then they spend part of their time here. We also have a team of child and adolescent psychiatrists and we have developmental and behavioral pediatricians of which I am one and developmental behavioral pediatricians are pediatricians who have gone through residency training and general peds and then uh, fellowship training and developmental behavioral peds. We also have nurse practitioners who see a variety of patients both with, with autism and with a variety of other developmental conditions. And we have a physician assistant in psychiatry right now as well. But in addition to our provider team, we also have a number of other support staff and nursing staff that really do a a lot of the bulk of the heavy lifting for our patient care. So this includes our nursing team, our social workers. We actually have a genetic counselor we hired recently who helps a lot with interpretation of genetic results and a clinic coordinator. So it really does take a, a village for our medical team to care for our patients.
0: And that's quite a village. That's a really diverse group of providers that you guys have pulled together. So when families come here, I guess one of the big questions I have is, is kind of how do you differentiate then when you need to see just your general pediatrician and when do you need to see an autism specialist? Do all children with autism need a special clinic to be seen?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And it's actually one that comes up quite a bit in clinic. And so after children are evaluated at the Thompson Center, if they choose to follow up in our medical clinics, families will often ask, okay, are you now our, our pediatrician? And the way I describe is I am now your child's autism doctor, and you still need a general care provider, a a pediatrician or family practice physician to help with vaccinations, to help when your child gets a cold or has some other febrile illness or rashes. I'm horrible at rashes, and so I I don't (laughs) want to be helping with with diagnosis of any rashes. And so it's really important for every kid to have their own primary care physician. And many children with autism, the care that their primary care physician provides is more than sufficient for, for their needs. And so many families feel adequately serviced by their general care pediatricians. But there are many children with autism that may have more specialized needs that a primary care physician just doesn't have the expertise or training to help those families navigate. And those families really do benefit from our services.
0: That differentiation makes a lot of sense to me. Can you go a little bit further into what some of those specialized concerns might be Are there common concerns for children with autism that they might come to you for?
1: Yeah. W- when we think about some of the more common concerns that we see kids for that, that have a diagnosis of autism, there are really just a few buckets that I try to describe for our trainees. And so one is I make sure all of our trainees, when they're working with our patients, make sure you ask about sleep, make sure you ask about nutrition make sure you ask about toileting, and make sure you ask about behaviors. And so those are some of the things that we spend a lot of time working with families on in clinic. And so whether it's giving them more strategies from a behavioral perspective and and managing behaviors, some strategies to help with sleep concerns, some strategies to help with picky eating or other dietary concerns, And sometimes that discussion evolves into a discussion about medication management to help with behaviors as well.
0: So it's making even more sense to me why you have such a diverse team there to support, because different expertise is going to be needed for different patients. I would like to go just a step further in in asking questions about some of those common concerns. And starting with thinking about the, the sleep and the nutrition and, and toileting, I mean, those are, those are still common concerns that really any parent is going to have about their children. So when we're thinking about those, are general recommendations and treatments enough to meet the needs of children with autism, or is there like this additional layer of support and care that needs to be considered?
1: Yeah, the answer is sometimes. So so, (laughs) sometimes it's enough. Sometimes those basic recommendations are enough, but sometimes we really do need to dig a little bit deeper. And, you know, when you think about some of the treatments for autism and you think about something like ABA therapy and really the fundamental concept behind ABA therapy is breaking down behaviors into tiny little discrete building blocks. And you have to do some of those same things when you're talking about toileting or picky eating. You really have to break down those behaviors into these fundamental really discrete building blocks and so some of the general strategies may be a bit too vague and not specific enough for our given child So that's why sometimes we just need to drill down a little bit more
0: that makes perfect sense and for our listeners if you do want more information on those topics we do have two informational videos that can be accessed on our website the first is called ask the experts feeding and nutrition with picky eaters And the second is called Supporting Sleep from A to Z's. Very clever title there. And then we also have a couple of podcast episodes that that also can be accessed. One is on supporting picky eaters and the other one is on toileting. So please uh, scroll through the Supporting the Spectrum library to find more information on those. Let's jump back to medication. What are some of the common things that children with autism might be on medicine for?
1: Yeah, so there are really a number of things that children with autism may be required to take medication for or situations where medication may be helpful or part of their treatment plan. One of the most common areas are some of the behavioral challenges that can be associated with autism. And those behavioral challenges can have a variety of etiologies. So it can be rooted in some attention or concerns or impulsive behavior, so concerns with impulse control it can be rooted in anxiety and can be rooted in, in a number of other mood disorders. And so those are lots of the things that we think about and we're really trying to evaluate when we're considering medications. And this is really one of the my favorite conversations to have with families because often parents have some misconceptions or a lot of really great questions about why medications might be appropriate for their child. One of the biggest concerns that we hear, and it's almost like all parents or reading the same book or reading the same <laughs> literature or something but they all say I don't want my child to be a zombie mm-hmm. and uh, my response is always the same I don't want your child to be a zombie either mm-hmm. that's, that's never our goal if anything that we prescribe for your child were to cause any side effects like that then that's a clear sign to us that we're on the wrong medicine or we're on the wrong dose and we would make an adjustment right away
0: I really appreciate a couple of things that you just packed into that response. One being that the medication might be part of a treatment plan because it is so important that you have that comprehensive look of eyes on from like a behavior specialist, utilizing that ABA therapist to look at behavior through that lens. And, and then also really thinking about, as you said, what are some of those underlying things that might need to be supported a little bit, those that attention, anxiety, and together those two things can be supportive. Are there other things besides behavior that a child might be on medicine for?
1: Yeah, and and I do wanna jump back to what you just said. It is so important to conceptualize medicine as just part of the overall treatment package. And when I'm describing use of medication to families, I say this is one of our tools in the toolbox. And just like a carpenter, we may use one tool more often one day, uh, for some given period of time, and then a new problem or new situation will arise and we may need to use a different tool in our toolbox. And so another concern parents often have is that if we start a medication, it means my child's always going to be on this medicine. Mm-hmm. They're always going to have to be on medicine. And and I say that's never our intention. We're, we're using medicine now to help improve the child's functioning so that they can be more successful and doing so without any necessarily predicting about their need for medicine in the future, and and really thinking about it as just part of the treatment package.
0: I think that's such an important point.
1: But going back to your other question about are there there other reasons why a child with autism might be on medicine, And, and so I think I talked about symptoms that could be related to ADHD and anxiety and mood disorders and some of the agitation and aggression that is sometimes inherent in autism. Sleep is another big area that we often use medications for. And sleep is really such an important area. And when we're hearing stories of difficult behaviors during the day, the first thing almost all of us will ask about is, okay, how is sleep the night before? Because if sleep the night before is bad, behaviors the next day are gonna be bad and parents' ability to tolerate those behaviors is worse as well. And so we want to do what we can to help improve sleep. And that's really fundamental in in lots of cases.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's fundamental to all of us. I know I have worse behaviors when I have (laughs) lack of sleep for sure. So that, I mean, that's a, a nice segue actually into another thing I wanted to ask a little bit about, because I've heard that parents use different supplements to help support sleep, but I also know that supplements are out there in a, in a broader sense and recommendations of alternative products and strategies. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Is there research to support the use of any supplements or other like products for specific needs with children with autism?
1: That's an excellent question. And again, this is a question that comes up in clinic all the time. And uh, I also think there's a lot of misinformation out there around the use of supplements. And and one of the issues is that there's a perception that because something is a supplement that it's somehow safer. And among us as, as medical professionals, we often think the opposite because supplements are not regulated by the FDA. There tends not to be a strong data support for their use. And so, as medical providers, we're unable to provide specific guidance as to dosage or product type, and parents may be giving a product and we don't really know what's in it because it's not, not necessarily regulated. But that said, there are supplements that do have strong support and do have strong research backing. And one that we use a lot is melatonin, and, and that gets back to that all-important need of sleep. And, and melatonin is a natural substance that our brains all produce. And there's data to show that children with autism, there's some differences in how their bodies produce melatonin and so they may have more of a need to take extra melatonin before bedtime. And so that's a very common supplement that we do recommend.
0: That explanation alone, just on the misinformation and and how thoughtfully you approach talking about that with families, makes me want to really recommend that families do have an autism physician that they're connected with. For our listeners who are interested in, in being a patient in the medical clinic, do you have to be evaluated by the Thompson Center to be a patient here?
1: You don't necessarily have had to gone through a diagnostic evaluation here at the Thompson Center. And so we do see a number of patients and families who may have had their evaluation at other centers or through other providers. And now that they have that diagnosis, just want to come to the Thompson Center for ongoing follow-up and care. And we're more than happy to see patients no matter where they come from, though many of our patients are those that have had their diagnostic evaluations here at the Thompson Center.
0: Can you talk a little bit about what ongoing follow-up care looks like? How often is that?
1: Yeah, another great question, and it really varies. So it it depends so much on the needs of the patient and the needs of the family, and it used to depend on geography as well. Though with our increased use in telehealth, that's less of a barrier. And so some families and and, and patients who, uh, particularly if we're prescribing medications, we'll see them back every couple of months. If we're providing more kind of general oversight and providing recommendations as far as services and therapies and things like that, usually every six to 12 months.
0: So if a parent is interested, how can they go about making an appointment to be seen here?
1: There are a couple of great avenues in order for families to seek care here at the Thompson Center. One, you can go to our website. And if you click on the button right now, it says make an appointment. And so that scares some people away, but it really takes you to the referral page and and you're able to submit a referral and that'll let our referral team know that you're interested in being seen here. Then eventually that referral will get routed to me. I'll review it and I'll say, yes, we'd love to see this patient at our center and then we would call to get them scheduled. Alternatively, if they if they don't wanna do the online referral form, they can always call our center and, and our staff will help kind of walk them through what that process looks like. Or they could talk to their primary care physician and they can help facilitate that referral as well.
0: Excellent, so one final question I have for you. I always wanna leave our listeners with resource ideas. So knowing that you see so many families on a regular basis and there's some common concerns that kind of come across your path, what are some of your go-to resources, the things you find yourself recommending the most to families?
1: So I can think of a couple web-based resources that I'll either direct families to or that I'll pull information off in the form of handouts and give to families. So one is the Child Mind Institute. So if you go to childmind.org, They have wonderful handouts and particularly around behavioral management and some mental health concerns anxiety management executive functioning deficits things like that they don't have a lot by way of specific autism related resources but i think a lot of the the handouts and information they provide can be applied to to some patients with autism a great resource for families who may have questions about medications is through the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. So they have great parent handouts and guides on, on medication options for a variety of concerns, and they have a specific medication guide that's geared towards parents of children with Autism Spectrum Disorder. But they also have similar guides on ADHD, anxiety, and things like that. So it's a really great resource. It walks through some of the reasons why a child might need to be on medication, some of the side effects to look for. It has a list of all the more common medications that are prescribed, and it even has a medication tracking log that f- families can fill out and, and share with their physician.
0: It Sounds like a wealth of knowledge. Thank you for sharing those resources with us, and thank you for being on today.
1: Thank you. This is a pleasure. It was my first podcast, and I'm glad we were able to do it today.
0: Before we wrap up today, we did want to let you know that registration for our 16th Annual Autism Conference is live. This year, the conference will be held on October 14th and 15th in St. Louis, Missouri. We have some world-class speakers who will be sharing the latest research and best practice methods on a variety of topics, including new trends in early intervention, diversity and inclusion, genome sequencing, ethical decision-making, and so much more. The conference is geared to clinical providers, educators, and applied behavior analysts. There's also a parent-focused conference day, too. Though we're scheduled to meet in person, and we're excited to see everyone there, the health and safety of all attendees and speakers is our number one priority. Should the situation with COVID not improve or get worse, the conference will be moved online. For more information about the conference, including how to register, go to tcautismconf.com. That's T-C-A-U-T-I-S-M-C-O-N-F dot com.